All right. Thank you so much for joining in here Tuesdays now from 2 to 4 p.m. for Beyond Our Comprehension. I'm your host, Clem. And you're like, well, what is this all about? Well, right now I'm just learning to make sure I don't have a really hot mic and it sounds really good right now. So hopefully that way it's not blasting your eardrums out there. And I am a graduate in biology with a concentration in biotechnology. And that's how I kind of like to open up uh, this show with something that's in biotech that may be beyond your comprehension. And so let's go to the news right now. Well, this is not surprising at all that we are lacking in education in the United States. It is shown that our STEM numbers are lacking so much that we are projected not to match the 13% increase in jobs that's going to happen in STEM majors, right? So that's your science, your technology, your engineering, your mathematics. And I wonder... Where we've gone wrong, standardized tests, um, in a lot of this. Anyways, this says that from 2017 to 2027, we're going to have an influx of jobs where our graduates are not going to be able to perform because they don't have the education skills. You know, one thing it it used to be said that, you know, you could go out from high school and then you could go get a job and you sure can. And many people have seen the outliers that are fantastically amazing, successful. But if you go to mainstream America and you look at just the overall graduation rate and the job rate and what fields that they're tending to gravitate to, this is where you're getting this lack. Now, this report was done uh, as an economic imperative informing STEM education. It was dated October 1st, 2019. Uh, This article is from Scientific American, so you can go out there and you can read it yourself. Uh, It's by Rick Lazio, Harold Ford Jr., and it is asking, begging for the United States to rethink its approach now to how we are educating our kids. Now, I don't understand. When I went through school, it was it was the three, right? What was it? Mathematics, English, and social studies. That's all it is. And then they had some great technology, you know, things that you could dabble in. I just did industrial arts. But it didn't seem like we were failing on the level that we're failing now in the churning out of our educated youth. So we need to step up, America. Here's one statement that they have that says, if left unaddressed, the shortage of STEM workers will have long-term and extremely consequential ramifications such as and this is where investments come from and this is where we have to worry about your uh retirements white america so you know i'm i'm really asking you 
to put the lean, put the lean out in your community. Come on. Because I don't know what it's going to take to make the change, but the change has to happen. What happens is it leaves the country as a non-viable technology source. We're already losing many of our college spots to international students, and they deserve it. If they're hella smart, they deserve it, right? But what we also have to understand is that there is a responsibility to the, the people who live here to focus them into fields that are opening up so much so that way they can go ahead and backfill that void step up america here's some fantastic things in biotechnology right now if you understand how signal reporting is going for genes so that way you can detect a, a gene that is possibility causing a disease it used to be such an involved process where you had to use all these structural links in this long apply wash reapply wash reapply wash reapply wash and then seeing if there's a a assay an absorbance assay See if you get a tag. Now, and, and, and if you understand, Eliza, what I'm talking about, ladies and gentlemen, then, then you, you know that this enzyme-linked immunoabsorbent say is very painstaking time. Well, now, researchers, and this was a great article, right, in News Medical Life Sciences, dated November 3rd, Shout outs to Bernardinelli, Okletui. I hope I got that one right. I probably didn't. Werner, Maziga, and Marco for putting that together. So they're working on something that can go ahead and target the, the gene of interest. And instead of having these stackable, stackable says involved, their application allows a hybrid molecule and antigen binding and affinity to a DNA zyme. You guys understand that kind of science? I know some of you do. But it's, it's going to be great for reducing the time it takes to do assays. All right, what else do we have in the news? Sharing. Sharing of data is in the news. What's so important? Well, it, the more information you can get on some target disease that you're working on, some target assay that you're doing, the more resources that you have. And this is hard stuff, right? This is stuff that usually scientists are going home, they're reading a lot, and a lot of it's coming up to their imagination. People imagining how to create these targets to do it. Information is the key to that. 
I know that in the job force now, I was interviewing for a certain position in pathology where it was taking the slides, pathology slides, and it's amazing the information that you can get from, from these slides, right? If you build this huge database, you're getting age, race, gender, tissue type, disease. And it's not just that this is information. This is actually tissue that's stored in these banks. And so if you take this information... And you make those slides and you feed these slides through a computer system. It takes AI a little bit, something that's that's got some some computing power. And they read all these pathology slides. Now you store all that information in a large database and you share that all over the world. Because the focus in medicine is point of care. That's at the bedside. Biotechnology at the bedside. And so your doctor can take a biopsy and put it on a slide and run it through an imaging, maybe right there in his office. And then that image is compared to that full database of information they have out there. And now maybe, maybe they're able to identify that particular pathogen right at the point of care. And now your tailored treatment goes along with that. That, that is the new evolution, ladies and gentlemen. That's biotechnology. And so what we're doing now is instead of just being schools and schools, right, universities sharing that information, states, sharing that information with each other. Now we have nations. Nations sharing that information. And they've got basically a multiplex of assays and information in this repository from experiments. Thousands of results in there. And now let's say you're doing some kind of proteomic work. You can utilize this kind of a database to help tailor what you're doing. To help tailor the experiment you're doing. To help tailor the experience. To help tailor the clinical process. What, what I'm saying is biotechnology, the more information, the more resources you have, the more that this is shared in between nations, the faster the care towards the patient. And it used to not be this way. It used to be very guarded. But this was another great Editorial by Kate Anderson from November 3rd.
What does that have to do? What does biotechnology have to do with just talking about something that's beyond our comprehension? Well, you don't realize what it's linked to. You know, all I heard in the news, I, I, I say, Alexa, what's, what's new? What's new? Give me, give me the news, Alexa. And then they give me the NPR. They give me the BBC. But I hear about strikes, education strikes, teacher strikes, auto worker strikes. I never hear of biotechnology strikes. Now, sure, you're going to have your startups come and go. But I never hear of just all these biotechnologists that are striking because they don't, you know, they need some kind of a better wage. Now, I'm not saying a lot of them don't have to work two jobs, especially if they're here in the Bay Area. That might definitely be the case. I know I sent a tweet out to the Clinton Foundation I, I, I want you to do it, too, if you can. Talk to old Bill and Hillary out there. A lot of people don't understand if you look at the big picture of what their, their plan was. Uh, you know, they took a lot of concessions in, in the closure of bases to have strategic uh, points of, of force uh, around the world. And I know a lot of people had kind of a... Well, you can watch a documentary of it, and they didn't have the best track record when it came to immigration reform. Well, if you go to the state of Arkansas, you'll, you'll know why. It's because you don't see, you know, like 15, 20 universities everywhere. You see maybe one or two universities, but you see 20, 15 trade schools everywhere. So they were really engineering this workforce for construction for the for you know the the United States and uh, Arkansas is known as the resource state and they were trying to take it that way. Bill and Hurley, I, I I saw what you're trying to do. It may not have been all the best for for everybody, but I knew where you're trying to go. Is you're trying to put people to work. Well, you've got the money. You've got the big pockets of everybody that can spend it. And so I told him, ladies and gentlemen, I'm, I, I, in my tweets, I'm like, let's turn some of those trade schools, or not even, let, let's not turn the trade schools, let's just add a course. To every single one of those trade schools, let's add a course for biotechnology. And you, you can condense it. You can take a lot of the history that you have to take. Everybody understands that, right? When you take science courses, half of the beginning of a course is going to be filled with the first week of a lot of just background and history of it. Well, it, when you're engineering a workforce, like you're doing a trade, you step on the ground running, moving forward, not back in history, right? So you're moving forward because biotechnology changes so much all the time. And I'm like, you got the money, Bill. Come on, Hillary. You could make Arkansas that resource state again, but it can be for the newest industry that the America is going to have, and that's biotechnology. And I think what's happened is everybody is just afraid. They're afraid of saying that word biotechnology, right? It's like 
it's like you're saying evolution to creationists. And it, it's, I'm not going to attribute to, you know, terrible words, but it's it, for some people saying biotechnology is like fingernails on the chalkboard. And believe me, I know I came from a family of SBCs. Everybody know, Pam, you know what a SBC is? Those Southern Baptist conventions. Oh, oh, and, and we took it even one. Pam's in the studio, everybody. Hey, uh, shout out to Pam. And uh, so we took it even one step further. We were, we were first Southern Baptists because, you know, pride is a sin. But when you when it comes to religion, you know, it, it doesn't involve itself. But. But Arkansas is such a deep state. Steeped in in religion and a lot of that is going to come from its poverty. And I think that the collapse, that void, the vacuum, the rug pulled out of all those two-year trade schools for electricians and plumbers and, and carpenters, everything that, that had to go. I mean, you've got to remember, this was a master plan for 10, 20, 30 years. Because, you know, at the time... Bill was in office, the housing market was going good. I mean, we're only talking less than 10 years ago. We're talking, you know, still 2006, 2008, everything's still going. And so the workforce was supposed to be there. But then the housing market crashed, flip-flop. Hopefully it's going to do it again. Maybe it's got to reset itself. I don't know. The prices over here in the Bay are outrageous. I was talking to my sister came down uh, this weekend from Seattle and uh, you know, she sees the same there. You know, you got to have two jobs. People are homeless on the street. I I didn't know this, but they had, they have these just streets and caravans of RVs that are packed side by side by side, right? Front in front of the other. And the people who own the RVs are renting it to the homeless people in Seattle. I didn't know you could... Where where are you going to stop at the profit, ladies and gentlemen? I mean, it's, I don't know. I guess if it gets cold, you know, it's it's worth the hustle to to have that. Uh, every time I go by one of those West Fagilas, right, the Volkswagen, I'm like, yeah, I could do that. That's, you know, it takes a lot to do that. I met a guy this weekend, Crazy Carl. Shout out to Crazy Carl. He was great talk. I uh, I don't know if anybody do this, but I, I think you should, right? If you want a weekend camp, I want you to find the area you want to go that has a park and ride with one of those porta potty bathrooms. And then just put your tent out in one of those parking stalls, and that's what you use, right? You back in, it's got trees, it's got shade, you know, you stay for a day or so, and then you move on, right? It's great, and it's free. Well, anyways, I was doing that, right? I backed the car in. It was probably about 11 o'clock or so. Pulled the, the, the tent off. Set it up in the, in the spot. You know, chilled, kicked back, read some book a little bit. You know, shot a little video. I had some things to do in the area. And then I wake up in the morning and there's Crazy Carl. That, now, that's what he says his name is. He's not crazy. He, he was very intelligent. Uh, had done several years in the Navy as an electrician, uh, been a transient 
or uh, migratory, as I called them, uh, for about nine years. But, you know, it was, it was amazing to look at, at that kind of a trade because that's a trade. If you learn how to be an electrician in, in any kind of, you know, military field and then you go on to the outside, you can put that skill to work if there's work, right? I don't know. We didn't get into what his situation brought him there, but, you know, shout out to Crazy Carl. That was, that was some great kind of a, of a talk. And we talked about education and, and everything. The lack of. Gave him a couple of books. I, uh, there's a top biology book out there. I guess, I guess they say top. You know, if you go ahead and get on Google and then you Google like the top 10 of biology books, uh, The Gene is a book out there. Uh, kind of talks about the history of kind of biology and it goes through. Of course, it's using the, the author's uh, kind of life story to, to present uh, you some education and science. So he's like, can I have that one? I'm like, absolutely. I felt like I was a mobile education center dropping off, you know, some real science knowledge. I don't know. Maybe that'll be a new gig every month, right? I just go ahead and take the car, load it up with the books I've already gone through and read, and then just go around to park and rides and see if there's some some migratory people there and, and share my library books. Biotechnology, come on, Clintons, you can do it. Not only, you don't even have to put the money for it. All you have to do is lean your your uh, influence that way. That's all you have to do. But you've got that foundation. I'll, I'll, I'll send you the outline. Everybody look for that, for Bill and Hillary's text and the outline to how they can go ahead and add that course to their uh, technology schools there. And let's go ahead and make Arkansas that true resource state for the United States because that's that's our industry. How about biotech and investing? I can go ahead and talk with this. I don't have any five-year non-competes with these companies. I can tell you the ones I've interviewed with, the ones that I think are worth your investment. I wonder where where's where's the worst investment? Who's the worst investment information to get someone from? I said that totally backwards. But who is the worst person to get advice investing from? Probably probably someone who doesn't own a home. Right? If they're, if they've got some investing advice and they don't own their own home, but, uh, you know, they, you're working out of a vehicle. Um, I don't know. It, it seems a little shady. It's like somebody opened their trunk and say, Hey, do you want to buy some Jordans? I'm like their last year's model and the color's all wrong. They got the logo. So I'm, I'm at the Berkeley water park. And I'm picking up my $100 donated uh, kayak. And this guy's out there. And he bought the one. He was there first, right? So he drove all the way over uh, from the 
West Bay, right? I think it was at Sausalito he came from. And he was there too early. He wanted the one I want because he got the one that was like 50 bucks. I got the one that was like 100. But he had this, he had this investment in biotech, in a biotech company. And a guy that had engineered microbes, right? Had engineered microbes that could dissolve the plastic at a faster rate. And we're talking about your garbage here, people. And then turn it into smaller plastic without the toxins that can be reused into industrial blow molding and turn that plastic into new products. Now, I know biotechnology. I understand it. It's not foreign to me. It comes with an expensive price tag that I'll be paying for probably for the rest of my life as everybody who has student loans. And when he's telling me this, I'm, I'm just imagining this in my mind. I'm imagining this in my mind. I'm going, this is really possible. Like the investment advice he is giving me is if it is true is absolutely amazing to invest in, right? Because everybody knows we have a huge trash problem. You can see it's all over the sea. So not only do you take these plastics and you degrade them by using the microbes, right? Bacteria, basically. Engineered bacteria. And when I say engineered bacteria... I'm sure everybody out there is going absolutely crazy. Thinking bacterial Godzilla. Can't you see bacterial Godzilla? Turn that thing loose. It's engineered GMO genetically modified organism that bacteria Godzilla and it gets loose and it just starts disintegrating all the polypropylene all the plastics that out out in society so that's what that's what we all think of right we all think of biotechnology as as much as people would think of the atom bomb back during the creation of the atom bomb. That through biotechnology is the devastation of, of our species. It's inhuman. It's too much godlike. I interviewed with one company. And see, here's what happens. People have to understand that everybody has different views, right? And you can disagree to agree to disagree 
on the views that you have that are individual to how your nurture was, your nature and versus your nurture versus the environment you were growing in. And also who your mentors are, who you look up to. And so if I look up to like Einstein and his theory of relativity, and I'm like, yes, okay, so it's a theory of relativity between point A and point B, and the R between that should be at least the radius, right, for half the circle that you would be between point A and point B, relative to, of course, the speed of light is how I look at it. But you have to understand that in that, in that equation right there, where there is A relative to B, with R as the radius, there is also sub A, right? Which is that that B cannot see, and then there's sub B, which that which A cannot see. In that whole, see, there's there's a whole additional point to that relativity. Some people use that as the the springboard to launch into you know, your quantum worlds. Your quantum dimensions. The theory is that everything that you could think of is and has and already has been done by you so many infinitesimal times in other worlds that had you to understand at that concept, you would just be, oh, I'm exhausted already. What if, you're, what if your mentor is Feynman? Someone who was essential in, in, in creating, you know, something like the atom bomb. I remember uh, a book that you could... Um, if you want to, I think if you have Audible, you can get an Audible credit on it. It's, it's what do you care what they think, right? And basically, it's it's the look of Feynman's career and what he has succeeded through the the eyes of the attitude of his wife of why do you care what people think about you, right? Because here's a person that was so instrumental in creation, in a creation of something, in a physical, physical creation of a bomb here, destruction. When used, right, outside of their creation, at first they're just creating. So I had an interview with, with a company and they're, you know, they went on, this one person on the panel went on to like biotechnology. What do I think about the ethics in biotechnology? And of course, there's absolutely the need of ethics and biotechnology. Most people don't understand, but that's a huge part of bi biotechnology. And it's not just a given, it's driven. You know, a given is something you just use, oh yeah, you take it for granted. But biotechnology and ethics are, are driven together. And in the same thing, he asked me, well, do, do you think that you would ever you know, not create something because of, you know, what it could be, what could be used for. 
And I'm like, absolutely not. I don't have one sleepless night over doing something like that. If you're a biotechnologist, then you create whatever you need to create to solve the problem that you're trying to work on or, or whatever, whatever, you know, aspects that that can be used for down the road should never hinder the imagination and creation. So there are some companies that you should definitely keep looking at. Biomarine ph Pharmaceuticals, for instance, even though they're down 19% right now, they've got their gene therapy line going on. That's, that's point of care work. That's point of care work investing where no one else is willing to take it. People are trying that people see it though. People take notice and they're and they're gonna ramp up. But biomarine pharmaceuticals definitely here, you know, in Novato in the Bay. See, here's here's what biomarine pharmaceuticals does is they work on the shit nobody else wants to work on. They want to work on the shit that nobody else wants to work on because it's a rare disease. See, if you get really good at treating the rare disease, well, then you put yourself in the market of being able to really being able to tackle diseases on the whole because you're already, already dealing with the most difficult ones. I'm always going to like Verily. I'm always going to like Verily because they're always doing work trying to help people with diabetes from it being at the contact lenses that are, you know, one step under the technology that you see in a lot of the fantasy movies, right? It's on that level. But also in just point of care testing. That's really huge. Biogen, even though they're down, that's always one to look at. Gilead Sciences, that's always one, even though they're down. Because here's what I want you to to really, really understand when the investings come is when you see those companies that are up 27%, 33%, right? You're going to see a lot of them that either got funding, an infuse of funding. They're, they're the hottest new one on the market. So be careful of those. Be careful of those. I'm not saying it's not something that you can invest in and then get a good turn of a profit I mean especially when you see you know companies like Ying Su Hungry Medicine and that's in Shanghai but that one's up 83% people see some influx of money has to do with with departments that have 
that have sucked a lot of money out of the company and just haven't returned a profit. So make sure when you're looking at investing that you're looking at, you know, the longevity of the company at the same time. Now let's talk about evolution for a little bit. You know, evolution for us, if you've taken in school, you know, is a real gradual thing. Hundreds of thousands of years it takes. Millions of years for species to develop the way species develop. To where we see everyone so far in the chain that is right in our tree. But then we got CRISPR in biotechnology. Now CRISPR are these clusters of repeats that are interspaced and they're palindromic and there's a great book that just uh, what, a crack in creation right if you want to read a good book on CRISPR uh, one of the doctors out of Berkeley uh, lab that came up with the process was basically, you know, here's what I'm talking about, biotechnology, working on their problem, working on, you know, understanding the DNA of the bacteria and how the bacteria responds to virus phages, how they, how they respond to, to, you know, genetic insertions and, and viruses that would go and harm their DNA. And they find these. And before you know it, it's like, wait, you can use this now in the building box of evolution. Where evolution used to take hundreds or thousands or millions of years and now, and now, if possible, you could have evolution at the bedside using this kind of technology. You can change the cell's DNA. Is that scary? Is that Godzilla? Or for the person who's getting the treatment, is, is that a miracle? Where biotechnology has taken over an evolution. Can be a miracle. If you don't think so, let me just give you a prevy to this. Now, this article was released yesterday, November 4th, in GEN, Genetic Engineering and Biotechnology News. And it's using the CRISPR platform to 
to be able to engineer cells right there. And this process is used therapeutically. So now what they can do is they can create these amplifilic or they can basically create these, these intact delivery mechanisms that can be taken up by the cells And this, these people here, McGray and the colleagues, have worked to make these shuttle peptides work with the CRISPR platform. And now they can rapidly enter into cultured cells. And they can manipulate and change those cells. You think that's the last exciting news I have for biotechnology? No, it's not. This is what I'm talking about when I talk about biotechnology supersedes evolution. Biotechnology is medicine. It is the new way to treat our overpopulated society, especially our growing obese populated society. And here it is. Researchers develop new way to 3D print living skin with blood vessels. Now this was released November 1st, reviewed by, thanks, Kate Anderson here. So it says researchers at the Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute have developed a way to 3D print living skin complete with blood vessels. The advancement published online today in Tissue Engineering Part A is a significant step toward creating graphs that are more like the skin of our bodies, how they produce naturally. Now that's biotechnology. That's biotechnology using everything that they have learned in order to print skin. Now, I think some people go, oh, now we're stepping into the age of Machina, right? Machina, whatever that movie was. We're getting into the Terminator, Terminator, excuse me, the Terminator. I should probably smoke a little bit more. Where we're going to have all these uh, biotics wrapped with now skin. No. Let me tell you, let me tell you a story here. Originally, when I started into the school, I, I wanted to be a nurse, right? And the way to qualify in some of these nursing schools is you got to do a lot of stuff. 
you got to do a lot of stuff over and beyond just what regular people do, right? You got to have volunteer hours. You got to do all your courses, got to have A's in them. So I'm in Sacramento and I'm going to Sacramento City College. And everybody wants to do their volunteering at UC Davis. Everybody wants to be have their volunteering so it shows on their application, say, UC Davis. And I was no different. So I sit there. I go through the course that everybody has to do, the class. And then they say, okay, well, it'll be about a year before, you know, you could probably get your, your volunteer hour started. I'm like, oh, that's crazy. Well, next door to UC Davis is a children's hospital. It's a Shriners. Now, if you volunteered there, as soon as you took the course, oh, your volunteer hours started. Because it's a really tough thing to see children suffer. Children suffering. I don't know if there's, you know, I have seen documentaries where animals have, that are in nature will will care for a young, right? There's just that some kind of instinctual built-in empathy unless they're on the dinner plate menu of that kind of nurturing and care. Man, you go in and you see those children and a lot of them are burn victims and it is it you know what it did it, it it hit me in the chest almost taking my breath away seeing it and that empathetic part of you just takes over and you're like how can i what you just want to play a game of checkers fine absolutely fine but some of these Children had burns that covered three, what, 30% up to like 60%, maybe more of their body. Research developed new ways to 3D print living skin with blood vessels. Think of it in your imagination, like looking at a piece of graph paper, right? And just the grid of graph paper. And here comes this printer. And it just comes down and goes, okay, sell, sell, sell. Here we go. And let's put the collagen in here. Now let's go, you know, blood vessels. This is what they're doing. And they didn't start that way, right? They didn't start that way. Maybe their research would just started, hey, can we link two human cells together just at like the basal level like at the basal level can we get these two cells to join like they would in the body something simple called biolinks and to go from there to go from there where you start with just that kind of a thought process, that kind of an imagination, that kind of can we do this, and then you take it to a level now shown in this paper 
where they're they're printing the human endothelial cells, which line the side of the blood vessels, the the cells that wrap around the endothelial cells. They got the animal collagen in that structure, all into into a skin graft, which when applied, when better point of care is what we're talking about, right? The ability to take medicine immediately to the point of care of the bedside, biotechnology at the bedside, and then be able to incorporate this into a burn victim. And I'll go even one step further. The uh, company that I was working for was a surgical uh, education theater, medical device, surgical education theater, many of them around the country. And in this particular event was wound care. Now, a lot of the wound care gets stressed around, and it's unfortunate, but I've seen multiple classes uh and addressing the different kind of technologies in the wound care. And ladies and gentlemen of America and around the world, diabetes, 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 diabetes. Oh my goodness, diabetes and what it can do to the human body. I think it took me a week to like look at the PowerPoint presentation again because you just have to stomach all the pictures of this necrotic tissue, this dead and dying black tissue around these wounds. And here we are in the surgical education theater and they are using biotechnology. Now we're working on cadavers here. So they are actually, this is train the trainer, right? So we're teaching the surgeons. We're teaching the nurses how to do the process. So that way them themselves can take that back into their practice and better serve, better serve their, their clients, their clientele. And it is amazing what they use now. I was talking to a doctor after one of the classes, and he says he uses stem cells in every surgery that he does. If it's a wound, if it's a, a, any kind of a, a total ankle, total hip, uh, total joint anywhere, he incorporates stem cells into it. Stem cells with growth factors that can immediately identify the location that they are at in the human body relative to the cells that are around them and become those cells. Now, it starts with baby steps, right? Sometimes you crawl. Sometimes you stand. They fail. Then you go. And these people know. There's a statement. As engineers working to create biology. They're working to create biology here. Okay? They're trying to create life. 
They've always appreciated and been aware of the fact that biology is far more complex than simple systems made in the lab. So first you go into your bio links and you start getting the cells to work together and then they form a basal lever layer and they are communicating, they are thriving, they are living and they take what were simple systems in the lab and they change that into now a process which can provide graphs better suited to adapt to the environment that they are placed in and so that they can in turn incorporate their vascular system into the vascular system at the patient. That's point of care. That's why I'm talking about point of care. This is where I'm talking about, I don't know, you know, they teach evolution in, in the universities. And it's great to learn about the history of Lamarck and Darwin. Just to learn about all these kind of, uh, you know, different kind of pressures on animals and where that takes them. And now, now we're seeing evolution. We're seeing evolution at the rate that we're seeing technology. That's what we're seeing now. We're seeing the loss of it. But we're seeing the creation. Creative biology. Think of those children. I want you to put that in your mind. And biotechnology, as we close up this first hour of Beyond Our Comprehension. GMOs, 3D printing. What about lab animals? That's all the stuff that has to go into a lot of the science that is able to hopefully move to a point of where skin grafts for for burn patients you know especially the, you know that could include nerve and vascular endings that can bridge the gap and heal their wounds faster or what about diabetic patients Diabetic patients have terrible, terrible circulation. And what happens is they develop pressure ulcers or they develop necrotic tissues. Wound healing takes a lot longer in diabetic patients. And so you're talking about a process right now that is absolutely in dire need and necessary in humanity right now, especially, and you can Google this. I know I wrote this 
down. I think I wrote it down when I was on this tangent. I don't know where I was going with I was writing some joke is what it was. And I was listening in the background to Joe Rogan do some kind of UFO conspiracy thing. And then from there, I went off to that kind of tangent when I was Googling. And then I think they did some kind of a of a reference to midget. And then I'm like, well, dwarf. And so then I, I went and I went on a, a crazy thing of, you know, was it qualified to be a dwarf? So I'm sorry for you, those that are four feet, nine inches. You just got to wait for gravity. That's all you can do. But I was, I was writing about the obesity problem. And I was, I was saying, you know what, this, this, this could definitely be a joke, right? This could definitely be a joke because, and this is where it came from working in that surgical education theater is in some of that wound care, they're using the tissue from cesarean birth. This is donated tissue, right? They're not just knocking women out and then and then harvesting the, the child cesarean, right? And then you wake up and then it's like, what happened? No, this is this is actual, you know, the patient goes in and says, Yes, I will go ahead and donate my tissue. And that tissue has has that stem cells in it. And then scientists can use that in conjunction with growth hormones and then they use that in this kind of education they use that to to repair the the skin of diabetic people, basically people who are obese and and uh, have you know diabetes mellitus too. And I am telling you, oh, I wish I had, where is this? Okay, so, so anyways, this was the headline of the joke, that the country's morbid obesity is saved by women's collective, right? It's pretty much the only way it could be. But it wasn't, it wasn't people, I know what you're doing right now. Now you're, everybody in their mind is thinking of abortion clinics, right? And the van sitting on the outside just waiting for the new tissue. That's not what I'm saying here. I'm saying the only re way to combat the country's morbid obesity disease, this is, a, this is a nation's disease, is going to be saved by women fucking. It's the only way to do it. They need to fuck more than we need to control their fucking. And if, if we can... Maybe pay them. Maybe pay them to, to save their vaginas. Right, men? And have that baby cesarean. And donate that tissue to biotechnology so they can use that in wound care. I'm talking it. It's from cradle to grave, right? It's intercourse to save America, ladies and gentlemen. Women, you are the only people can do it. All right, that is the first hour of Beyond Our Comprehension. Thank you so much, 
and let's put a little music break. I'll get a little bit of water here, huh? for joining us and we're back in the second hour here of beyond our comprehension and now it's a public service message all right i'm talking to guys out there actually i'm talking to guys and i'm talking to the women of guys now i'm going to talk to you by something that affects about 99.8 percent of males not circumcised and it probably affects probably about 40% of males circumcised over the age of 50. Maybe, maybe not 50. Let me give you 60, right? Now, I know what this problem does, and it, it ruins 100% of the lives. It may only affect 99.8% of males who are not circumcised, but it ruins 100% of the lives of them and their partners. What am I talking about? I'm talking about stinky dick hood. Right? I'm talking about stinky dick. I'm talking about you've waited all week with that, you know, special someone and it's date night and here you go and of course you're in the moment and someone tells you, oh, I'm sorry, dude, you got stinky dick. I'm like, I do? Yeah, you, you got stinky dick. Oh, I know you're crushed, right? Here's the thing. It's 100% curable. The problem is it's not commonly talked about in society. 
but women, you understand what I'm talking about. Men, you understand what I'm talking about. Your stinky dick hood. How, all right, Clem, you've identified the problem. That's half, that's half the battle right now. Now, how are you going to solve it? All right. I'm going to give everybody a couple of seconds to take down or find a pen and paper. That's what you're going to do. You're going to find a pen and paper right now. Now, whatever I'm going to write down, you're going to write down verbatim. And then we'll discuss it at the end. But here's what I need you to get. Gentlemen, I need you to go in and get Vagisil. Now, get the white jasmine, all right? Make sure you go for something that's pleasant. Haven't you ever been walking out on a summer day and you smell that white jasmine and that smell? In your mind, right? If you're going down for a southern lick on the taco, white jasmine, the aroma of white jasmine down in that area is fine. Matter of fact, you look forward to the white jasmine. You appreciate the thought of your partner using the white jasmine to say, you're welcome. Spend some extra time. Pull up a chair. Get those mouth muscles working. All right, so that's number one. You're going to get vagital, Vagisil. Number two, you're going to get vinegar. And I want you to be very specific on this and get the cleaning vinegar. Not the apple cider. I'll talk about it in just a bit. Just write it down. Number one, you got Vagisil. Number two, you got cleaning vinegar. Where can you find cleaning vinegar? Obviously, you haven't done your windows enough. You can get it at the dollar store. Just go in, in the dollar store and buy you a gallon of cleaning vinegar. All right, now here's the last of it. And the last of it is baking soda. You got to get a box of baking soda. Okay? Now, I know it's confusing. But everybody wants to cure stinky dickhood. Everybody wants the action in the bedroom to be much better than it has been. And the way to do that is to cure this 100% curable disease. Now, why the Vagisil? All right. Vagisil is really important because one, men, when you go into, let's say your CVS or your Walgreens and you go and you get the Vagisil with the white jasmine, you come up to the counter immediately, immediately. If it's a female checker, they're going to go, oh, he cares that much about his significant other, right? They don't, they're not even going to figure out it's for you, dude. This is what's so great about it. You go in there, you get the Vagisil, you get the white Jasmine. Hey, you want to make sure no parabens, right? No parabens and no dyes. I want to really sp stress this point, right? 
no dyes, no parabens, and make sure it's pH balanced. Now, if you get the Vagisil with the white jasmine, I am going to tell you this is already going to be built in. I'm not going to tell you something that I myself, as you know, right, what was his name, Ron, with I'm not just, you know, a, a promoter of the hair club for men. I'm a client. I'm not going to stare you wrong on this. It's Vagisil. It's Vagisil with white jasmine, no dyes, no parabens, pH balanced. Your vinegar, right? Now, now let me expand on your vinegar. Let me tell you why you don't go apple cider vinegar on this, right? You don't want sticky in that region. I know a lot of us have a problem with the big balls and they're sticking to the side of the thigh. Can you imagine if you put that apple cider vinegar down there? I mean, you might as well put Gorilla Glue on it and then just say, I'm going to be hanging right for the rest of my life. Baking soda. You have to get baking soda, and I don't know if they make the baking soda that is like baking soda and jalapenos or baking soda and orange or baking soda, just straight baking soda. It should be so straight baking soda, you should see a woman like looks at 1950s with blue hair and an apron, and she's holding a plate of chocolate chip cookies. That's how old I, school I want you to go on this baking soda. Do I paint the picture for you now, right? All right, so here's the step it goes there. See, the partners that we're with, right, they understand that there's body chemistry going on. And, you know, if you're a male with a penis and you got your urethra, maybe you've had some burning, maybe not, you just attributed to whatever it was, right? But if you deal with, like, my first marriage was 17 and a half years. So there's nothing that I don't know and haven't seen so far. And some of it I don't want to remember. I tried to, I tried to block it out like PTSD events, right? But sometimes you get, a, you know, you get a little itchy down there. And it's not your fault, right? See, Basically, females have a built-in chemical factory to keep their, their vagina clean, to keep that area good, right? And sometimes those chemistries can go off with diet or stress or whatever. And what it does is since there's 14 trillion bacteria, let me say trillion bacteria on our bodies, ladies and gentlemen, 14 trillion all working in hand with each other, all under their certain kind of growth regulation because they're in competition with the other 14 trillion bacteria. I want you to think of that, 14 trillion bacteria. That means with your eye open right now, there's just puddles and puddles of bacteria that you're staring through to, to see the vision that you're seeing right now. Your mouth is disgusting. Oh, so disgusting with the bacteria that's inside. But in your perineal area, right? Let's, let's go ahead and let's move a little south, right? Let's get below the BO line. And white people, if you know this, if you have hairy bodies, you know what BO is, right? I know my wife, she just will tell me because I'm a little hairy. 
right? And I, I try to keep that to a minimum that I can, but, you know, the BO is there. And there's a Karangi bacteria. It's called this Karangi bacteria. And it loves the areas that it is your crotch and your underarms. They love the hair. They love the fact that the human body doesn't just submit, uh, excuse me, ex extrude NACL salt, right? When we sweat, but no, we also extrude urea. That's that NH4 molecule, right? Oh, and that nitrogen, yum, 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 yum. You get those nitrogen-based bacteria living in those hot, damp, and the, oh, the odors that they put out. That's why I think there's always someone for someone, right? There's always someone for someone's smell. And maybe that changes over chem, uh, time. But when they say that you have chemistry for somebody, Right. That means that you're you're basically tolerant to that person's smells. Now, I'm not talking opening up the morning shitter. Right. And those kind of smells that you're introduced to of your fine partner. No, I'm not talking about that kind. But just, you know, the natural body odor that is that is kind of unique into the individuals here. Right. Well, part of that body odor is your bacteria. Your body's 14 trillion bacteria playing an orchestra of symphony, right? A Mozart melody of aromas. And it's basically saying, come smell me. Do you like what you sniff? But nobody likes stinky dickhood. So C. albicans is one of the bacteria that causes a little bit of vaginitis, right? And ladies, I want you to turn to your man and go, yeah, it gets kind of itchy down there, right? So now if we're going to go ahead and we're going to talk about our pantries now, our personal pantries, people, because there's things in our personal pantries that can help the marriage, that can help the relationship, that can help solve the problem of the stinky dickhood. I don't know if it's dick stinky hood. Or if it's the hood dick stink, I don't know how that's going to wrap. How, how is that going to manifest or grow that term, right? But you know the treatments there. It's the vagicil. That's going to go ahead and give you the white jasmine. And that's going to go ahead and help out a little bit of killing some of that bacteria off, right? It's pH balanced, so it's going to get that area back into where it needs to be. Now, you know if you get a lot of sweat, if you get a lot of urea out there, it's going to change the pH balance. You're going to get more into an alkaline environment. You don't want that. You don't want that, right? You don't want to change into an environment that's going to benefit the bacteria, so I want you to pull back. That's going to be your morning wash. Now, this, gentlemen, this is detailed. This is not going to be, you know, I'm a Sunday night special now. No, no, no. This is going to be your morning routine, and it's going to start with a Vagisil. You're going to clean your pecker. After you do the Vagisil treatment, that's going to leave a nice little uh, white jasmine. Then you're going to go ahead and you're going to clean with some of this vinegar, right? And the vinegar is not going to go... Uh, around the pecker. The vinegar is going to go around the perineum. It's going to go around the ball areas, right? So now what you're trying to do is you're trying to slow down the spread of the stinky dick to the rest of the groin area by going ahead and killing off some of that cringy bacteria, the body odor bacteria that's there with the vinegar. 
Yes, I'm getting to the baking soda. All right. So here's how chemistry works. Chemistry works in a solvent-solute property, right? When they talk about an osmotic environment, they talk about one that can be fluid, where fluid can move back and forth. And let's think of this. Let's think of your perineal area, your stinky dick hood area, right? As an area where bacteria can hang out, right? And, you know, you've got your body sweat. So there's the solvent and the bacteria living in the solvent. They, they thank you for the uh, urea. I love it. I'm going to eat it up and I'm going to fart this smell out. And then that's going to give you your stinky dick hood. Now what you're going to do is for the long-term haul here, right? This is where, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to go meet the day, right? Carpe diem. I'm seizing the day. I'm about to leave. You're going to pull your dick hood back, and you're going to sprinkle a little bit of baking soda there. And what that does is it creates a high solute environment, right? A high solute, not high salt, right? Because baking soda is neutral, but a high solute environment. There's a reason that people use honey in wound care. There's an absolute reason for it because of the high sugar colony, the high sugar solute involved in honey because it prevents bacterial growth. If I'm lying, I'm dying. No, I'm still here. Okay. So now what you're doing is you're using the baking soda to create a to create a high solute environment in your stinky dick hood and that is going to to make an environment that is unattractive that is not going to support the multiple growth of bacteria because here's what here's what you have to understand bacteria grow at a rate that is exponential so if you, if you just do one treatment, it's not going to work, right? Because the environment's still there and the bacteria can take off again. It can grow again. And I want to, like I said, I want you to cure this problem. And so that's what you're going to do. You're going to use Vagisil to clean inside the, the, the dick hood around your pecker, right? Get all the way around there. Leave it on for a little bit. Let the jasmine soak in. Nothing wrong with that. Nice pH balance. Feels so good. I'm not saying you, you have to prolong the treatment, right? Other people need a shower. Gentlemen, you know what I mean? No reason to, to get Mr. Masturbation out. And then you're going to use a vinegar to clean around the perineal area. You're going to clean your balls. You're going to clean between your thighs. Now, for me, I'm heavy. I was, I was 400 pounds, so... I use this in a lot of different areas because now as the skin drops, right, there's bacteria in environments that can, that can take off. And so they create a lot of body odor. So I have to be very, very, uh, astute, how you say, astute to that, but that's it. And that is going to be your routine and it's going to be your routine for probably about a month. And all you got to do, let me know. I know it's going to work for you. Send me a line. 
send me send me your your stories at clem.beyondcomprehension at gmail.com. That's clem, C-L-E-M dot beyondcomprehension at gmail.com. I want to hear your stinky dickhood successes. All right. Now what? I don't know. I don't know if if it's if anybody else could do twenty minutes on just the stinky dickhood, but you know what I mean. It, it's it's what I care about for you people. It's what I care about. All right, let's talk about comedy. Um. All right. How how am I gonna do this segue? Let's see. Oh, there's a phone. How does that work again? So pick up the phone, ask them if they want to be live on air. Okay, so here. Hi. Hey, this is Clem. Do you want to be live on air? Sure. Okay, so then you press the white button, and then you bring up the phone. You hang it up, and you bring up the phone. And now you hear them through there. Oh, okay. All right, this is Clem. Who am I speaking to? I guess I dropped them off. You, drop, you press the white button, they're gone now probably. Okay, they're done. Don't, but you can bring them back. Okay. You, you just hit the white button. White button, boom, boom. Yeah. Got it. <clears throat> and you know what? If you want to reach out and and have a conversation with Clem. All right, they're back. Just press, just press the white button and you should be fine. Okay, there it is. Hey, this is Clem with Beyond Our Comprehension. How you doing? lost a phone call you know I, it, was this the one that just dropped in i dropped it on you didn't i <laughs> you little rat <laughs> i wish i was a little rat you know rats you know as long as they can get their nose through a hole they can get their full body through it did you know that no i didn't but i know rodents don't like the feel of steel wool on their whiskers so if you block up a hole with steel wool they won't like that on their whiskers the feel and Disgust them, I guess. So what do they? What do they do then? They just go ahead and create another hole, then, huh? They don't like the feel of that on their whiskers. Oh, I didn't know that. So I don't know what the hell. So let me see. What What are we talking about? Well, you know what? We were talking about stinky dickhood. That's what we were talking about. I was I was actually giving the recipe to cure to cure relationships out there. Have you ever had a relationship where where uh, a person had a stinky dick hood. A stinky what? A stinky dick hood. Oh, I don't think they have those anymore. Oh, they don't have it anymore. I may be giving out a recipe that's outdated. I, I mean, I can't say that they don't have them completely, but I think that kind of went out long ago. So in the relationships you are in, in, in the, the promiscuous world that, that you call your own, no gentlemen have problems with stinky dick. But you see, I'm not interested in that. I'm interested in another kind of relationship. You okay. Know, it's oblong. It's oblong. It's green. It's green. It got little numbers on it and pictures of presidents. Oh, I see. Right. <laughs> ah, I see. Well, you know, that's always interesting because money does make worlds go south. Well, you know, what gets me is I've been trying to get someone with the lottery since 
1985. You you've been trying to get with someone who's a th- a philanthropist since 1985. No, someone who's got got a bankroll. The California State Lottery or what? Oh, you trying to you're trying to win it? Yeah, well, it gets me is so many people winning they let it go right through their fingers in about a year. Yeah, the, right, right. You know what? You know what really needs to happen is someone who who has won the lottery already, who still has a bankroll, a, a, a philanthropist, right? And and if they do, I think they really could start a foundation, right? In order to donate some of that money, you know that is so important, right? That's green and got some numbers on it, oh, no, I and into into. Into a foundation to help those who suffer from Stinky Dick. I'm always calling up your uh, station, different shows, trying to advertise to send me. <laughs> Seeing you. Well, you know what? I really appreciate that. You know what? And and I'll tell you what. It, the After I get my cut, I'll let you get yours. Is that okay? Hey, thanks for calling in to Beyond okay. Our Comprehension. Let me tell you my... You, you have a great one. And if you want to call in, you can be on air at 415-550-0511. That's 415-550-0511. Okay, so we got to talk about this. Comedy. So I was going back through... uh, kind of the 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 family trust right i i i signed up for that position um it's not paid uh but it's a great way to go through the ancestry um of basically my whole family the grandparents everything and i'm going through there and then i'm reading through a lot of the the letters and the background and as i'm going through i'm finding this stuff of my own self right which which is pretty comedic it's uh you know kind of at the point where i'm like wow i i guess if i had chose a path earlier on that comedy could have been it the problem is as you know when i was at the university and i was doing research there you know one of one of my professors was like clem you are so nuclear I'm I'm so detailed, right? And that's kind of the problem there. So, you know, when everybody talks about going online and and read this book, read that book, and the comedic formula. Everybody's talking about the comedic formula. The comedic formula. What's the secret? What's the comedic formula? And I'm like, well, this must exist. And if it doesn't exist because everybody's thinking about it, then somebody hasn't figured it out. So maybe I need to figure it out. Maybe, like Einstein, like Feynman, maybe I can be the first one that actually comes up with that comedic formula. So how am I going to do it? Well, the only way I knew how to do it was rely on my brain i'm figuring how did they do it i mean how did einstein figure out his relativity 
obviously he he bridged upon those who came before this no it's no shock in science that we always say we stand upon the shoulders of those that have come before us it's absolutely true so if you're trying to figure out comedy then obviously what do you do you watch the greats oh I remember Victor Borg. I used to watch Victor Borg, right? And one of the greats. And this had, had after my uh, my mother had passed away. So my mother had gotten sick um, in my early years. Uh, she got sick right about, I was six years old. Uh, probably seven is when the full blood disease took off. And then, and then by nine, she was dead. And so we shared, we live on a farm, and we shared the residence uh, with my mother's parents. So my grandparents lived on the farm with us, and of course our father. And after that tragedy, you know, all I would see is my grandparents, and especially my Nana. Oh, my Nana, she would just cry all the time. She'd be just talking to the Lord, you know, just praying and praying and crying all the time, you know. What about these children, this, you know, their daughter's gone. And we used to watch PBS. That's, that's what they watched, right? There was a few channels on and, and PBS would come on and then they would have the specials. And of course, you know, you'd have the Lawrence Welk or, or whatever. A lot of you don't know what I'm talking about. You'll have to Google it. Do your homework, do your research, catch up with us. And, and Victor Borg would come on with his piano, and it was silly. It was, it was physical comedy, entertainment comedy, right, with, with the jokes written in. And I, and I saw the change that, that was made in, in my grandparents when I watched that. I'm like, wow, it's so amazing what comedy could do. And I didn't know it at that age. Right. I'm just like, how how can this one person make such a change in somebody else and somebody else? How can they make such a change in somebody else just by doing kind of these, you know, just random goofs? But for that time that that was on, I didn't see the crying. I didn't I didn't see the despair. I'm like, wow. I remember one time, and my, my my grandfather was very, very racist, very, very racist. But you know, he had a hard he had a hard growing up. So his father died. Uh, his his there were about eleven or so in the family. His older brother gets killed, and he's about twelve, thirteen, and now he is forced to work on the railroad running horse team and it was lucky that he could run horse team because they lived on a farm right because they were farmers in the day of the of the great depression in the 30s there and because he could he he can run team on the railroad and so you know he had a lot of racism uh just you know hard life growing up and everything um, and I'm like, 
comedy. You know, comedy can even bridge racism. It's absolutely possible. I remember I was playing the uh, Cosby record. Of course, you know, the record didn't come with the disclaimer that, oh, by the way, you know, in, you know, X amount of years, I, I would, you know, be, uh, it would come out that I was drugging people. It was just comedy. It was just a comedy record that time. And he was talking about Noah's Ark. Cubits by cubits by cubits, right? And this, this just, now I only played him this part because of course he was first Southern Baptist. And I thought that that kind of reference to Noah's Ark and the, and, and the comedy buildup and everything like that would just be amazing because he would get it right. He would actually understand that kind of a basic of humor. And he did. And he laughed and he laughed and he laughed comedy laughter it's amazing how it can reset your hormonal level in your brain it is absolutely fucking amazing what it can do all right comedy so i was a class clown it just was the way it is, it was the way it was. You know, all the teachers said, you know, you if you apply yourself, you could be so much more. I wasn't ready for that at that time. Absolutely, I wasn't ready for that at that time. Oh. Shoot. By the time I had graduated high school, I had ran away from home three times. Uh, I had already tried to commit suicide by age 12. Yeah, I didn't get into that. My father remarried the Wicked Witch of the West. North, East, and South all rolled into one. So when I would go to school, you know, that's where I had to act out at. My comedy, right? All I wanted to do was fucking laugh because the horror that I was living in at home was so bad that I was running away from that environment. Matter of fact, I, I even have a letter as I was going through all this paperwork at home. I have a letter from the Marines when I sent to them at 15 years old because I wanted to join. I wanted to get out. My grandfather had already served in World War II, captured uh, some German officers. They got a Bronze Star for it. Father served in Vietnam. It's time. It's, it's, I was thinking about this morning how I was... It was couldn't fathom but I was thinking about this this morning how my grandfather was in a war my father was in a war and then we had our war which is basically to just it was the Gulf War it lasted 14 days and they gave up 
But I was just like, have we not learned anything? Because I got some generations gap. I got a generation gap here. Quite a few years between, you know, my grandfather and then my father and then me. And then we're just in the long-term war, the Afghan war. Isn't that a doozy? All right, I'm going to come back to comedy real quick. Let me get a sip on the from the water here, and we'll go down. I am going to give you the absolute mathematical formula for comedy. So run and get your pen and paper now, and we'll be right back. silent solo was my instrument thank you so much
right. Alrighty then, we're back now, ladies and gentlemen, with the comedy hour beyond our comprehension. We've got 20 minutes, and now we're going to go to your host, Clem. Thank you so much for that intro. We're talking about comedy, ladies and gentlemen. Hey, before I go to comedy, do you want to you wanna know the book that... One of the books that I want to recommend to you, and there's quite a few... If uh, if you're into genetics and you want to learn a little bit more about it, then you can try this book called Genetic Entropy by J.C. Sanford. And you can find it on Amazon. Here's how I do it, right? Because, you know, I have the, with the background in biology, you got to read the books, Selfish gene, this gene, that gene, all the genes. And then, of course, you got to read the the classics. You got to read Darwin and everything. But none of them are funny. I have to take that back. How to Clone a Mammoth is written in a nice, funny way. I, I really enjoy that book. If you've read, uh, haven't read it, but it's called How to Clone a Mammoth. I can highly suggest it. All right, Clem. We don't want to know about genetics anymore. It's not funny. We want you to take us where you told us you were going to take us. We want you to take us to comedy. We want the intro. We want the build up into the next two hour set. We want to have that kind of build up to the open mic and improv hour. Oh, yeah, that's right. You got two more hours of me, baby. And some hopefully amazing talent. Pen and paper ready? All right. So here's what we got. Now, the only way I can figure out the comedic formula uh, is by doing it mathematically. So what do I mean? All right. Everything in the world is numbers. Don't doubt it. Just take it as a fact. There's nothing you can do about it. You can't correct it. You can't change it. It is a limiting factor that is our known universe, and it's our math. Without new math, we don't have a new world. Without new math, there's no new physics. Without new math, there's no new nothing. Without the math, there is no comedic formula without the math. Now, everybody knows you have to be self-deprecating. I understand that. Look, I will tell you, I don't even need to put that in number one. Self-deprecation is huge because everybody wants you to be more miserable than they are. That is the job of your art form. And comedy is an art form. And that's why if you choose to have comedy as an art form, then having a mathematical formula is sound. It's a sound way to write your craft. Well, I couldn't go at it with calculus. 
Because calculus is going to give you the near math. Calculus is going to give you the near math to the comedic formula. But I need to give you here, and here's what it is. Given some kind of a location, wherever you're going to do it, be it your open mic, let's say this is like a 33-seat, 30-seat venue, that's your geometry. So comedy starts with Euclidean geometry, and that's where you're going to work your room. Obviously, that means X1 through Xn, right? Your math. So X sub 1 plus X sub 2 plus X sub 3 all the way to X sub N, no matter what your room size is going to be, right? That's going to be your Euclidean geometric space. And that is the space that you have to master with your math, with your jokes, with what you're writing, with what your topics are, right? That's what you have to do. Now, let me tell you, I am no way, I am in no way a master of this formula. What I'm saying is I couldn't go forward in my step in any kind of comedy, in the creation of comedy, without having the basis of the formula. Now, if I need to break down into what it is i can you can always email me that's clem dot beyond our comprehension at gmail.com and i can give you this i can send you the formula just remember that your parameters for geometry is x sub one x is your individual it's your audience so x sub one could up to x sub n is going to be your audience numbers where your audience number x sub one other to x sub n is going to approximate some kind of a population of society or all populations of society. Okay? You got me here? Is everybody clear that you're working within a confined space? Even if you're working in an outdoor arena, it's still a space that you're working in, right? Your acoustics is going to go for so far. Your uh, Whether you have large screens on either side of the stage, that's going to go for so far, right? So your geometry is what you work with. Now, geometry is in a, in a function. The function is basically the audience in such of an area. Where the function of the audience times that area needs to equal the function of the performer and this term, GCD. Where GCD is the greatest common denominator of a coordinate in a plane of your audience. Right? Now, the only way to do is to give that kind of audience a coordinate, and we're going to call that coordinate AB, where in the natural world, right, AB exists in a pair where A is greater than B in some aspect of biophysical, biochemical, bioenergetic state. Your job as a comic, right, is to find the GCD between coordinates AB. 
Whereas the GCD of coordinate AB, therefore A or B, represent in an analogous term a concept such as the biological understanding state and the comedic formula. What I'm saying, it's a biological uh, understanding of a state is you're not going to get laughs from walls or chairs or desks or tables or drinks on the table. You get laughs from humans or human-like animals. So there is a greatest common denominator of the coordinate AB where AB is a function in such where A and B disagree on something. Or let's say feminism and men. Right. Let's just. All right. So if I say feminism and then I say men in your mind, you're looking at you you automatically without me even having to draw anything. You're thinking of two opposite polar pictures. Right. If you've got that in your mind where A and B at some coordinate in space, A and B as biological entities that give you your feedback are going, you're going to have to find a greatest common denominator, which such that it appeals to the function in the area of the coordinate plane of your geometry, X1 plus X sub 2 all the way up to X sub N. Where I just write that as x sub 1 plus x sub 2, comma, comma, x sub n is a function times the area of the, times the area, times the area of the venue. If you've got that much so far, you got the first part of the comedic formula. It doesn't mean that you have to have all of the comedic formula to start. It doesn't mean that the comedic formula isn't going to come to you. It just may mean that where I've given you that comedic formula, right? Where I've given you that comedic formula, you need to have it digest a little bit. And that's probably what you got to do right now. Let that digest a little bit. South Van S. Be sure to tell them Mutiny sent you. Counteroffer, baby. Are you tired of swimming through a sea of podcasts? Are ye on a raft without a patter? Well, gather around me, sea dogs, and get aboard me pirate ship as we set sail for the seas of MutinyRadio.fm. From there, you can captain your own pirate ship as you sail through over 44 different shows for all of your listening pleasures. They've got live comedy to small business advice, LGBTQ-friendly to sports, vinyl to gutter punk, MutinyRadio.fm has the best programming the Internet Ocean has to offer you. I bet my peg leg on it, or I ain't scurvy shitface McRat. 
Subliminal SF Visual and Auditory Mind Control brings you the best, coolest t-shirt and hoodie designs and mind-bending local bands and shows at venues all over San Francisco and the Bay Area. Subliminal SF is here to destroy your sense of normalcy and plant ideas in your skull to make you cooler and a more awesome person. Check out all the badass products at subliminalsf.myshopify.com. That's subliminalsf.myshopify.com. And experience Subliminal SF. Hey, you open micer in San Francisco comedy scene. Maybe you want time to do jokes. Well, this is the place to do it. Mutiny Radio. We have three open mic a week just for you. Monday's joke workshop from 6 to 8. Come and get four minutes and four minutes of commentary from your comedian peers. Come on Fridays for happy hour 6 to 8 here at Mutiny Radio. All the comics. Wonderful, hilarious people in the scene. Get to know them. Hang out. Do a set. Have it recorded here and on a podcast at mutinyradio.fm and come in on Saturdays from 4 to 6. Get long sets because no one ever shows up, so it's like stage time and people can listen. Come on by to Mutiny Radio. Get your comedy on, baby. Tell me what you think about your situation. Complication, aggravation. Is it getting to you? Then tune in live every Sunday from 12 to 2 p.m. to the edge of insanity with myself, Paul Brumbaugh, Kit Marie, Brandon Ray, and Mistress Christine. All on Mutiny Radio. That's right, PCRcollective.org. We'll see you there. Let's watch a full-length movie with Mike Spiegelman here on MuniRadio.fm, where we stream live every Sunday at 2 p.m. Today is November 10th, 2019, and my name is Mike Spiegelman. November 4. No. Let's try this again. (laughs) Today is Sunday, November 10th. 2019. How do you do that? You just slam a time machine. It's great. I love it. Don't call attention. This is pre-recorded. I'm here uh, live in the studio 
in the flesh, Carl. Right. And I'm in Georgia at a wedding. <laughs> <laughs> That's where you're going to be. Well, we want to welcome you to the show. How do I explain? The, how do we explain the premise? Mm, mm. Right. Yes. What is? I mean, you hear "Let's watch a full-length movie on YouTube," and you just don't know. You what think, does it mean? man, I should rip that idea off. Well, go ahead. I dare you. <laughs> you're not the first. We stole it first. Yeah, we 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 came up with the idea to steal it first. Uh, but enough bitter grapes. We are going to watch a full-length movie on YouTube. The idea is that these are movies we read about, never got to see until they got posted on YouTube. Some of them are so special that it's impossible to watch on your own. They're so bad. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so, uh, hey, uh, not to change the subject, what movie are we watching today? Wait, aren't you going to do the L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-G-Blogspot.com and all that? Yes. We want you to subscribe on our podcast. So go to your podcast machine, simply type in L-W-A-F-L-M-O-Y-T. That's the name of our Twitter account. That's the name of our YouTube account. Uh, our Facebook is Let's Watch Full Length Movie on YouTube. And we're on Blogspot. Let's Watch Full Length Movie on YouTube.blogspot.com. Not been uh, updated. Anyway. What can I tell you about that? So, uh, Carl, what is the movie we're going to watch today? Try, stop delaying okay. it. Let's watch this already. All right. We are going to watch Cars Life 2. C-A-R apostrophe S Life 2. Uh, and I recommend Night Owl. All right. Let's three see. L's. Ooh. Okay. There's Night Owl. Three L's. Cars Life 2. From DVD rip. Mm-hmm. So many things wrong with that. <laughs> Full this... movie in parentheses. Cars Life Two apostrophe S, and hosted by Night Owl. No. Owl. Now I gotta say that I know this movie because it is a staple. If you have premium cable, and you have like the multiple channels, it, they tend to fill out the day by airing, not a Bug's Life, not Cars Two, <laughs> a Cars Life Two. Right. Oh my God, that sounds so odious. <laughs> Oh, boy. So you watched this, huh? Oh, yeah. And you took meticulous notes. <laughs> I took notes, all right. This movie is like the bottom of the pile. Like, I, 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 have, a, I have a movie in my mind, which will be our final movie. But this would be mm-hmm. our penultimate movie in my list of things. You know? Like, we're wrapping it up. We just don't give a shit. Let's watch A Car's Life too. <laughs> oh, man. Well, we've watched Godfather. We've watched Terminator. We've we've done. Yeah, we the, watched some good movies, but not tonight. This ain't one of them. Oh, speaking of which, I accidentally hit the wrong button. Uh, as we chit chat, I am getting ready to uh, get our countdown prepared. Should've done this before okay. I walked in. Wouldn't that be better? There's so many different yeah, movie well, choices on well, here. Well, oh, I did it again. I keep hitting futz. Let's watch. A- we don't want to watch futz. <laughs> Futz is one of the movies that's on our YouTube channel, but we have... Yeah. We're going to do the countdown. Normally, we do this in person with Paul Brumbaugh, the uh, mm-hmm. uh, able body mouth breather before us, but he is the not here. King. So uh, I got a demo. So, so let's listen to the Countdown King's Paul's intro, and when he gives you the cue, go ahead. We want you to get Cars Life 2 ready. You have it Buffered paused. Up. Buffered up. Zero, 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 zero. And when Paul gives you the go-to, go to it.
as soon as we're done buffering. All right, so let's get.